This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. This is Beth Silvers. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. Thank you so much for being here for our new episode today. We're very excited. We have a special interview with producer Rob Reiner, that that one, Rob Reiner, <laughs> and director Dan Partland about their new documentary, God and Country. God and Country looks at the implications of Christian nationalism and how it distorts not only our constitutional republic, but also the faith of Christianity. Regardless of your faith or lack thereof, this documentary provides an important look at how a certain sect of Christians in America are influencing our politics. We were very honored to get to chat with these two about their work, and we hope that you will enjoy this conversation as much as we did. God and Country is in select theaters starting today. You can check out the website in our show notes to find a theater near you. And then outside of politics, we're sharing something that I have no chill about whatsoever. It's a rare subject that I feel this strongly about. But stick around to hear what that is. This is something that I think is just necessary for everyone. If you have family members who are struggling with understanding Christian nationalism or understanding the threat of Christian nationalism, this is a great episode to forward on. You don't have to convince everyone in your life to listen to every episode of Pantsu Politics, but I think we're always looking for curation. And so if you feel like an episode hits a mark, pass it along. Pass it along. Say, hey, I know this is a conversation we've had in the past. This podcast really helped me understand this. We would love that. It means a lot to us to have bring in new listeners and to bring in particularly fresh conversation on much needed topics like this one. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Rob Reiner and Dan Partland about God and Country. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Dan and Rob, thank you so much for coming on Pantsy Politics. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. We're so excited to talk about the film. Um, My first question is, you know, this is such a huge topic with so many different constituencies. I know in like just our audience, we have people who have lived this, who have been in these communities or in families that have like been affected directly by Christian nationalism. We have people who are learning about it for the first time. We have people that it feels like a different planet. So like when you were sitting down to start to tell this story to try to, you know, sort of share where we're at, where we've been, like, how did you decide where to start? How did you decide who to tell? Who did you, how did you decide, like, who are we trying to tell this to? How, whose attention are we trying to get with this undertaking? Well, I think we're trying to reach everybody. And what we 
were able to do, I think, in the film, first of all, a lot of people don't even know what Christian nationalism is. I mean, they'll think that, uh, you know, the film is going to be an attack on Christianity. It couldn't be further from the truth. It's it's the opposite. And the reason we have the spokespeople that we do in the film, who are all very devout Christians, conservative Christians, of uh, many of them, is to talk about what Christian nationalism is and the danger that it presents, not just for the country, but for Christianity itself. And that, that to me, is what the film is all about, is to try to reach as many people as possible to define what Christian nationalism is and to show how dangerous it can be, not only to democracy, but to actually to Christianity, how it is hurting Christianity. And these uh, very prominent, reputable, uh, conservative Christians talk about that specifically in the film. Such a sensitive thing to talk about people's faith. I mean, that. You know, I, I just have too many people in my life who are deeply devout, who I have tons of respect for, would never want to do anything to offend them. And I definitely talked with all of those people a lot before starting this film to gather their thoughts and perspectives and to make sure that the voices that we had in the film were absolutely ir irrefutable in terms of their their Christian bona fides. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're people... These are not people who are looking to take down Christianity in any way. If anything, they're people who are looking to lift it up. But they, we still have to be able to speak critically about things that aren't going well within the faith and within our body politic without having that seem to be an attack on all people. Most Christians are not Christian nationalists, but it is a, a growing and strong movement in America. I attended a national church conference this summer where we considered a resolution as a church to condemn Christian nationalism. That so sounds our, very dramatic. How did it, that go? It was dramatic. <laughs> well, it was dramatic in that overwhelmingly the room had a common definition of Christian nationalism, associated it with extreme politics, and felt compelled as a church to speak out against it. But there was a voice of dissent in the room who really was defining it differently mm -hmm. and was struggling with what he felt was an attack on patriotism. And our church is very explicit about not tying patriotism and faith together. But he right. wanted to be able to say, I am both a Christian and I would call myself a nationalist. I love this country. So how do you intend through the film to, to work on that distinction? Because it isn't just religion and an extreme politicized version of religion that you're working with here. It also gets to people who you know, think about the flag in a particular way, who think about what it means to be a patriot in a particular way? Well, that, that's a great, uh, a great question, because um, when you define, you know, Dan talks about the fact that if you talk about a nationalist, you're saying, well, I'm a patriot, I love our country, and I'm Christian, and I'm a devout Christian, and I, uh, you know, I believe in my faith and, and all of that. The problem is, if you look at America, it's a pluralistic society. It believes in the separation of church and state. And if you tie nationalism to a religion, you're going against the concept of, of patriotism. A patriot is somebody who honors the Constitution, believes in the Constitution, believes in the rule of law, believes in the separation of church and state. And if you are unwilling to separate church from state, you are going against the Constitution. And I would argue that that's not patriotic. It's patriotic to honor the Constitution. And so it would be great to have the discussion with that person that you was at your conference and to really sit down and talk to him about what is patriotism? Mm. Uh, you know, is patriotism my country right or wrong? Because we know that slavery was wrong. We know that we did certain things to Native uh, Americans that was wrong. We know we've done certain things to women, not giving them the right to vote was wrong. So we have a way of dealing with that in this wonderful constitution that we have, which allows it to be amended and allows it for us to have a more perfect union. So 
the film is designed to have that conversation, that specific conversation with that guy that you talked about at your conference to mm -hmm. say, what does that mean to be a, a Christian nationalist? What does that mean? And if that means uh, my way of the highway or, you know, you have to believe like I believe, otherwise you're not welcome in this country, then I would argue that that's not right. And so that's what the film is about, to open that conversation so that Christians, you know, can embrace their Christianity and not feel that they have to force their religion on anybody, and particularly not in a violent way. Hmm. Yeah, and I'm just struck. Well, the first thing I, I noticed when you're talking is that's it's so smart and it's a very similar strategy to what the January 6th committee used, which is using Republicans, using conservative voices to say this is the problem that we've seen. I mean, everybody testifying before the January 6th committee were Republicans and conservatives. And I think when you're trying to get at what's so difficult, which is, a, you know, a radical ideology that's occupying a political space, an extreme, you know, ideology that's occupying a partisan political space to say, we can't just come at it as outsiders. We can't just come at it as critics because that's going to shut people down. And I think the, the, what you're getting at so accurately with this film and what you're naming here now is that Part of this radical strategy is just to redefine things. It's to redefine Christianity. It's to redefine nationalism. It's to redefine what the Constitution stands for. I mean, I even as a person who's pretty well versed in Christian nationalism, this the the footage of Marjorie Taylor Greene and others standing up and being like, "There's no separation of church and state. They made that up." You know, <laughs> like it's just that's just yeah. the definitional nature of that. It's the definition of disinformation. Yeah. And how to push disinformation on people. And so the way they hear that and they go, yeah, there's no separation. There's a couple of places in the film where we say that. But in the reality is it's in the Constitution three times. I Look, I, I hate the term Christian nationalism. I mean, we all should. It's really hard to deal with. It sounds like it might be two very good things. Love of country, mm. love of faith. It's not that. And, and we do have to explain to people what it means and what and what it's all about. First of all, nationalism, I mean, with a, there's a sort of technical definition, but the simplest way to talk about the difference between nationalism and patriotism is that patriotism is about loving the country for its values, for its virtues, for what it lays out of you know, what who Americans are, being proud of uh, American virtues. Um, nationalism about loving it because it's ours. Right. This is our country. And so nationalist movements around the world, you know, they define who participates in this mm. by geographic boundaries, by uh, ethnicities, by religions, by races. They use those factors to say who is really fully empowered, who is real, who is really part of this nation. In the United States, we took it in another direction. And we said, we said, that's not what defines it. What defines it is our adherence to these values, to these beliefs in the Constitution. And that's about that's about the power of government coming from the people. Mm -hmm. The people doesn't look down on the people and decide who gets to participate. It starts with we the people. Yeah. We the people is who the Constitution represents. So, so that's the nationalism part, but the Christian part is, is, yeah, it's a misnomer. I wish it weren't in the title because there's nothing Christian about this movement. Yeah, it's really a political movement uh, masquerading as faith. Yeah, I mean, I remember being so struck by that moment where I don't remember where I read it for the first time that they started talking about the number of evangelicals, well, the number of people who define themselves as evangelical outside of any church attendance. Like there was just yep. there was no church attendance involved. It was just a set of political ideologies um, that has set that has begun to set and define that term. I think there's even a thing in the cover of the New York Times right now about that it's a new brand of evangelicals supporting Donald Trump. That it's it's not it's a political ideology. It's not a, it's not any adherence to any religious principles. Yeah, yeah. Evangelical is really um, is really complicated because unlike a lot of the other denominations, it doesn't really have a, a definition. And the, so the definition has become more, it's become a descriptor more mm, than, more a than a denomination. Yeah. And so anybody 
you know, in all of these studies, they talk about self-identified evangelicals. A lot of these people don't come from evangelical traditions. They don't, many of them don't go to church at all, but it's a political identity that they see on TV. And that's the one that they, that's the version of God and country that they want to ascribe to. Mm. You highlight throughout the film that a key feature of this descriptor is a belief that you are despised by the people in power in our society, that the elites hate us. And and Donald Trump was the master and continues to be so successful at at spreading this message. I'm just standing between them and you. When they persecute me, it's because they want to persecute you. And, And you show in the film deep threads of that, where that came from. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. And I would love for you to talk about how you thought about the fact that there are people in this film who will take the existence of the film as proof that the elites hate us. And how mm. how was that kind of the reinforcing heads we win, tails you lose nature of this movement on your mind as you made it? Well, that that's a really good question, but I would I would urge people who are watching the film to to see that the predominant uh voices in the film are devout Christian conservatives who are talking specifically about the danger of Christian nationalism to Christianity itself, not just to the country and to democracy, but to Christianity itself. So uh, if anything, uh, are they going to call Russell Moore an elite? Are they going to call David French or uh, Phil Vischer or, you know, a a number of the people we have in the film? These are not elites. These are, you know, deep, devout Christian leaders, Christian thinkers. And uh, they're the ones that are telling the story. We give them a platform to tell the story. And yeah. they're, they're, it's like, I think you said, you know, the January 6th committee had all Republicans. Mm-hmm. We have all of the people who are respected in in the community talking about this. So, you know, you can say, uh, you know, it's elites because you can point to me, you know, I'm a liberal from Hollywood or whatever. Or Dan, I don't, you know, I don't think Dan is, you know, he's not as, he's not as much of a libtard as I, (laughs) as they say, but, but, but we're not the, we're not the platform. We're giving voice to the people who uh, are respected in the, in the Christian community. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the evidence of how sensitive the subject matter, you know, comes out right from the, from the day we released the trailer, really, we were not. We were just releasing the trailer one to have heard about the film a little bit. But the firestorm of people, um, you know, on uh, what I would think of as rather extreme forms of the Christian right coming out, denouncing the film as attack on Christianity. Wow. You've got to that that really takes um, a persecution complex, I think, to denounce a film that you haven't seen for being a condemnation of Christianity, because I know if you'd seen it, you wouldn't have said that. But yeah, I think people have to see the film and and think about the ideas that are in there. You're raising a, a sort of peripheral question about other parts of the political identity that predominates Christian nationalism. I think I think the people there's plenty of people who are angry at elites who are not Christian nationalists. Mm. You know, I mean that that's a it, there's a lot of overlap, but it's not it's not the same thing. I don't people are allowed to be angry at elites if they're angry at elites, they feel like the poor have been have been left behind by the power structure. I think that's a that's a fair thing for society to talk about. Um, but to create a battle between, you know, to frame the battle as between the god, you know, the godly and the godless, that has nothing to do with what's going on in our politics right now. It's really a way just of manipulating an electorate. Well, and I think that manipulation is key there because I think the moment for me where I thought, oh, wow, this is you can't be respected enough inside the the Christian community for them not to come for you should you step on the wrong toes is when they went after Beth Moore. I didn't think there was anybody that was more sacred than Beth Moore. Um, And to watch the abuse she took and the vitriol. I think that illustrates the point, which is it's not about faith or Christianity. I thought the one of the most powerful points you make is that you have to be both, 
you have to have a Christian nation where Christians are persecuted all the time. Those two points seem to be in conflict with one another. It's like you have to be the hero and the victim. That's like the central premise of this particular political ideology. And that's in that's tough. I mean, Donald Trump, he's both picked on by everyone, but the only one that can fix anything. Like, that's just a weird argument. And I think to sort of put that in front of people and say, like, do you see how this they're making you mad all the time so that they they can be the ones that will fix it, but only if you send that donation in right now? I mean, I think the analogies to tele-evangelists is that prey on people's fears, that prey on people's insecurities and tell them, like, I'm the only one. This is the only option. Please send your dollars now. When you lay it out like that and you can see people who are who have dedicated their lives, even if you think that they like you're mad and you feel like they don't understand, like you can't argue that someone like Russell Moore or David French hasn't dedicated or William Barber, who's a progressive Christian, but a a Christian figure just the same, haven't dedicated their lives to this religion it's still it's hard and I, it's but i think it's just it's it's heartbreaking and it's hard to to break cuz it is a form of brainwashing it's just a particular form it's a manipulation to the level of brainwashing um i think about david what? french i don't think he says this in your in your or maybe he does say it in the film where he says the woman came up to him and says i just don't understand why you don't like him. And he's like, because he lies. And she's like, what are you talking about? He doesn't lie. Like, it's just that level until yeah. you can really hear people who who are steeped in the community say, like, it felt like I was on a different planet from this place I've lived my whole life as a Christian. It's just hard to comprehend. Yeah. I mean, what do the people say? I mean, what? Are the, how do they argue, um, you know, questioning uh, Beth Moore or Russell Moore's devotion to their faith how what are they saying uh that they that they don't believe that they're honest in their devotion to their faith i don't, I don't get what, what i mean i think all- it's the us them you're on the outside now that's see it. that's all that matters you're on the outside you're not us anymore you're them that's it that's all we need to know and, and the vitriolic level of the you know of the discourse as we say of the debate online and stuff it, it really is it's shameful of course i mean i just have to give Props to all uh, the people who gave us interviews. I was very honored um, to have people of that caliber wanting to speak up and, and trusting us um, with their words to make sure we're, we're telling the story, doing this story justice. I think that um, the additional tragedy of it is that it is those Christian conservative voices, those who have most prominence in the community who are taking the most abuse. I mean, yes, nobody cares. Reverend Barber is not taking any abuse online. Nobody, nobody is, you know, is surprised to hear what he's saying. But, but the degree of vitriol that the Christian conservatives in the film have yes. got online is just terrible, and it's part of the phenomenon. It's part of the phenomenon to make very clear where the battle lines are, mm-hmm. and that if you step out of line, you will lose this thing. It's a, it's a threat. I, it's a threat. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, 
in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. January 6 features some in the film. It's not entirely about January 6, but you but you see footage and there's a discussion of what motivated it and ties to scripture. We're talking at a time when we we're seeing this continual evolution of what we make in terms of meaning of that day. Mm-hmm. And uh now we don't have January 6 prisoners, we have January 6 hostages, right? Yep. And you 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 end the film touching on this concern that we're going to continue to change the meaning of that event. So I wonder what your hope is as people see the film and think specifically about January 6th. What is your, what is your kind of call to action for the viewer? Well, the call to action is, is, is to uh, see what could ultimately unfold if we allow a certain ideology, which basically is my way, the highway, and we'll resort to violence to get our way. What yeah. can happen to the whole country if this happened? I mean, January 6th, uh, that happened three years ago. And what we're seeing now is not the dissolution, uh, the, the dissolution of that movement, but the hardening mm. uh, of that movement. So what it portends is something much worse if uh, they don't get their way. And so what we're hoping with the film is to shine a light on this and say, is this a path we want to go down on, go down to? We want to go down down this path? I mean, is that what we want to do? Or do we want to try to preserve this wonderful 248-year, now 249-year experiment in self-rule where we allow everyone to have a voice and where we allow everyone to pray the way they want to and and uh, believe in what they want to. So that's the it's 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 a uh, um, you know it's it's a it's a call. It's a you know it's a, a ca- you know a cautionary tale of what could happen if we don't uh, you know start turning in the right direction. The history of January sixth is not is not settled yet. It's not fully written, and it and it's moving. And um, I think people are coming to different conclusions about it. I think that on the more pro insurrectionist side of the debate, look, I think I think it was the there's a graph in the film that show you know based on very good data that shows that in the initial aftermath of January sixth, most of America was really horrified by it. And by uh, a year out, by six months out, it had deteriorated. And and by a year out, it was maybe only half of America was still really horrified by it. I'm pretty sure that in terms of the political rhetoric, I think that uh, people on the on the MAGA right um, will be recasting the, them not as insurrectionists, but as freedom fighters. Before we're one more year into this, I'm sure they're going to be called freedom fighters. They're already yeah. doing it. They're, yeah. you know, you've got Elise Stefanik coming on uh, Meet the Press saying they're hostages. This yeah. is a woman who said, you know, this is one of the worst days in the history of our country. And all these people are saying that now they're saying they're hostages and and they're just, you know, mirroring what, what Trump says. That's scary stuff. That's scary stuff because a year of that disinformation can harden things even further. And that's the fear. And hopefully this film will start making people think about that. I think there was a lot, a lot of people wanted to have a very measured and sober reaction to January 6th at the time. And I think that's good and healthy. I think that um, the in the initial telling of the story, I don't think it was told as a Christian nationalist driven uprising. Um, but I think that over time, as people have been able to really dig in, I think that that framing is really accurate. Um, 
talk about in the film that it's not it's not that every person there was a Christian nationalist or that they wanted to have you know, uh, biblical verses written into American law or anything like that. It's that this, it, it's that it provided the framework. It provided the the permission structure that this is your country. You're losing your country and you have to fight to take it back. Where they get the idea that they're losing their country, you know, as you pointed out earlier, uh, there's simply no evidence to that. There, There are things that are going away in America, some that people bemoan and some that are good to be going away. Um, but Christians are not losing their country. Um, Christianity is is um, on the decline because the society is secularizing, um, but not because there's uh, not because there's legal pressure to contain Christianity. Well, and I just think part of what's important as those positions are shifting and hardening is to say this is not about like some Republicans who want less government and you agree with them on some pieces of less government. And so maybe they're not that terrible. This is people who want a Christian theocracy. Like, and I think the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the change in abortion laws, like can go to that point. Like this is, these people hold extreme positions. You have to understand the extreme nature of these positions just because that they are often backed up by Republican because it's this this cycle where Republican office holders sort of back them up and that like moderates the position and I think the eyes of the American populace, which is probably why they're doing it. You said something very important just now. You said that uh, one of the, uh, uh, you know, the ideologies of the Republican Party is less government. And that's true. Yeah. I mean, it's been that way for a long time. There cannot be more government Exactly. And an authoritarian government. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's like dressed up, but I think that's what people, you know, they're kind of versed. There's some stereotypes. There's some filtering of information going on there. And they're saying, well, if Elise Stefanik or whatever, I, they don't know who Elise Stefanik is, but, you know, you're sort of like not steeped in American politics, pays attention when it's time to around the presidential election. They tell themselves that like, well, both sides are kind of bad. They're both they're both full of it. And this side, but this side doesn't like this side likes less taxes and, and really wants to stop, you know, pare down the, the size of the American government. So these people, like it might not be as bad as the other side's making it out to be until you can really put in front of them, I think, like in a way like this, like, no, this is, these are people who do not believe in the separation of church and state. These are people that want to pay, pass religious laws and either expel forcibly or otherwise people who do not share this religion in the United States of America. Like, it's like you have to say it so plainly, like this is an extreme position. This is not Tammy Faye Baker. Like this is a this is a whole different beast out there. Yeah, they, they've got they've got a fellow, Mike Johnson, who's now the Speaker of the House, mm -hmm. who is a, you know, professed a uh, Christian who will say that the Bible is what you should base all laws on, you know, yep. all uh, government laws on. He's the he's the second in line to the president of the United States right now. Let's broaden it a little bit. Yes, the leadership of this movement are these are religious extremists. I think would be very comfortable with a lot of the theocratic measures that you're talking about. But but that by no stretch does that represent most of who is influenced by Christian nationalism. Mm. That's, we have to like, we have to take a step and understand not just what, what it is, but also that it's, that it's, um, it's not an on and off switch, right? It's levels, it's water. It's hard to really pin down. It's a current in the culture that informs all kinds of decisions. And so the bigger population and the one that I'm more concerned about, because the extremists, um, you know, by their nature are a limited number, but it is the much bigger population are people who are unwittingly subscribing to these values because they're being told in a, in their Christian community, in their church, in their media silo, they're being told again and again that following this particular list of political deliverables is a Christian thing to do. And, and most people aren't, they're not digging into it that hard. They're not digging into it that hard. If everybody who is in my community and my pastor is telling me this, then I want to do that. And I want to come out in favor of my team. I want to do the Christian thing because it feels right spiritually and because I believe that that's good for America. So the question is really about how do we reach those people? Not the extremists, the leadership. I mean, they're problematic, no question. Um, but there's this whole other layer 
of how it's reverberating around, out around the country that is um, bringing in a lot of people who frankly are unwitting, good, decent Americans who don't realize that they've signed up for this. My personal goals for 2024 is to actively value pluralism. Amen. Because yeah. I, I worry that that's kind of at the root of it. It is. Uh, and and I think there, you know, there have been times when I've done a poor job of actively valuing pluralism. And I thought about this watching the film because I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. But much of what is being described here is unrecognizable to me. Even the symbolism, even some of the stories. Like, I don't think about the the march on the wall of Jericho. It's just like, it's just not, it is not the brand of Christian that I am. And I think it's really hard, especially if you're active in a church community, especially if you are really committed to your faith. It's it's kind of hard to remember that there's pluralism within Christianity. Mm. And I think the film does such a nice job showcasing that. I mean, Dr. Barber and David French are very different flavors of Christianity yeah. uh, and both very different flavors from some of the pastors that you show talking to their congregations about praying for Donald Trump. So I just wonder if you think about that theme of pluralism, what it calls to mind for you and and how as creators you want to bring more people to that spirit of pluralism. You know, I read a book years ago uh, called The Home Planet. And in the book, it was all about these different astronauts from different countries, from America, from the Soviet Union, from when there was still a Soviet Union, India, China, you know, Scandinavia, all these different astronauts that went up into space. And when they got up there, they all had the same kind of same experience. They first were looking for where their countries were. You know, they looked at the earth and they were finding their countries. Then uh, after a while, they they started realizing, wait a minute, we all live on that little blue marble. That there's not, you know, we're all, there's not countries. We're all part of this human race that lives on this little blue marble. And they started seeing those divisions being eradicated and they realize that we are all one we're all you know god's people we're all you know in this one place and i thought that was interesting because well first of all yeah i just thought it was interesting because here is what we're talking about you're talking about pluralism which is out of the many one that we're all connected that we're all part of the same human race and we shouldn't be killing somebody because they may be believe something different than what we believe. We're all searching for uh, spirituality, love, you know, whatever, but we all want to uh, be feeling like we're connected to everybody. Not that we want to, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Not, you know, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to kill you. That's not pluralism. Pluralism is we all accept the fact that we're all part of the human race. And so uh, that's hopefully what the film espouses. And hopefully people will take that away. With well, them. and I thought it ended on such a positive note because I think the hardest work, I think it's true of patriotism. And I definitely think it's true of vision. It is easy to point out the holes and to raise the alarms. I mean, not easy, but easier, right? We are we are negatively biased creatures. <laughs> we are um, easy to to sort of um, point out what's dangerous and wrong. I mean, that's that's the risk of this movement, right? The reason you're willing to kill someone who disagrees with you is because somebody told you they're a threat to you. What you're saying is true, though. Yeah, it's harder to to spread uh, the positive part of it, but. If you look at the core of Christianity, Jesus, who talks about uh, loving thy neighbor as thyself, who talks about doing unto others, that's a wonderful thing to be able to say. You know, you take from that Christian belief, that's the thing to spread. Mm -hmm. And that's a very positive thing that uh, is expressed at the end of the film. And so yeah, what and we're saying is within Christianity is a tremendous hope for all of us. Well, and, and I just think that's so beautiful with the, not just with the, you know, the teachings of Christ, but hearing William Barber say like, 
Christians have, I, I can tear up, Christians have played a positive role in American history. Like, it doesn't have to be all criticism. In world the, yes, in the civil rights movement and moments where people of faith were on the front line saying, this far and no further. Um, and I think that that's really powerful and really important to give people, like I said, like that sort of positive vision to say, like, this is the problems, but it doesn't mean that the solutions are not also within us. And so. And, and we all have to actually live it. I mean, Pluralism mm-hmm. is America's gift to the world. We we are a model of how to do it well. And so it's particularly sad when we are stumbling to, to deal with our pluralism because the, you can't unscramble the omelet. The United States is a pluralistic country and it was from, from the very beginning. That's why we had to deal with it. Um, but we should be an example to the world of how we can do that. Um, and I think that, you know, in terms of the positive vision, you know, the... With the great Christian teaching is not just to love your neighbors, but also to love your enemies, mm-hmm. you know, to find a way that I think that's the applicable idea, unfortunately, for this moment of polarization where everyone is so angry at each other is we're going to have to all really live it. We're going to have to dig deep and understand our shared humanity. We're going to have to forgive a lot of people who did a lot of things that we found unconscionable. I do think there are a lot of, uh, I do think some of the way forward, we do have to name it. We have to name Mm -hmm. what's going on so that people can see it and so that people can talk about it. But then I think we also have to forgive. We're going to have to forgive each other. We're going to have to forgive each other for a lot of stuff. Um, So let's not focus on, you know, being angry at somebody who got swept up in this wave of Christian nationalism, because it is a, it's a social phenomenon. And it's happening not just in the United States, it's happening around the world as well. There are a lot of people that are swept up in it, but we have to help get them back, get them back reconnected to our shared humanity, get them back to their to their Christian ideals and get them back to their Americanness, their Americanness, which is inseparable from that pluralism that you're talking about. Well, thank you. I think this film will be an incredibly important step in that process will hopefully move us all forward and just thank you for making it. Thank you for coming on our show to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I just want to say, I'm really grateful for this conversation with you guys. I mean, you, you're so smart and you have such uh, great insight and great questions and everything. And this was just an absolute pleasure to talk to you guys. Oh, thank you so well, what much. What an honor. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you for having us. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Have you ever had a dry, itchy scalp or found that your hair color isn't lasting as long as the stylist assured you it would? Unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered showerhead. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement, unlike any others on the market. 
Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We have decided to test the outer bounds of your love for us and see how closely we can creep up to the line of getting canceled here today, Beth. Everybody take a deep breath. The subject is bed making. Okay. Well, let me just let me dive right off into the controversy. Because here's how we started this conversation. I was mad at my child because he won't put his laundry away. And I said, I'm going to tell him the truth. You don't like Jordan Peterson and his ilk, but the one thing they do get right is the advice to just get up and make your bed. Just do the thing. Do the chore. Get it over with. Make your bed. Make your bed. And I said, I don't have any patience for not making your bed every morning. (sighs) Beth has so much patience for people. I mean, if I said it, people would be like, oh, here comes Sarah again with her rules about clothing. And her desire for everyone to make their bed. She's an Enneagram 1. But you're an Enneagram 2 and you feel the same way. Which means we're right. Obviously. I think that's true. I think that's what that means. I have so few things where I'm like, there's one way to be here. Yes. I cannot fathom. No. Not making my bed. Ever. For any reason. Mm-mm. The only time I do not make my bed is because I'm going to wash my sheets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that means yep. I'm going to really make it later. I'm going to make right. it with the intensity and precision of a high-end hotel. I That's want right. the bed made always and forever. I just feel like it is a love note from morning me to evening me. Yes. Okay, I have two things here. Okay. First of all, I actually thought about this morning when I was making my bed because last night we had a really hard night with Felix. I don't know what happened. He was very anxious. He never does this. He couldn't go to sleep and he ended up sleeping in our bed, which is not a pleasant situation because we have a split king. So there is a hole in the middle of the bed. I did not sleep well. I slept so terribly. And as I was making the bed, I thought, this is why you make your bed, especially after a tough night, because you're like releasing that. I'm like brushing that away as opposed to if I like got in the bed tonight with the blankets all messed up from when he was there and his like little lovey. So then I'm getting in the bed with the memory of this terrible night from before, as opposed to like making the bed, wiping it clean, you know, erasing the night, erasing the day. It's a fresh start, right? Absolutely. You are saying Beth and Chad of 10 p.m. I care about you. Mm -hmm. I want you to be really happy 10 p.m. We're usually in bed earlier than that, but, just, you know, <laughs> the time when we might go to sleep. I care about you. I want you to I want you to have your best sleep available tonight, and I'm, I'm giving you the footing. You were also saying all day, Beth and Chad, when you walk by this room, you're going to feel like people who have their stuff together. That's right. And that's important. You need to feel like people who have their stuff together. And it's just a little anchor. You just get up and you do it. You move your body for a second. You touch some things. You're just being a person in the world as soon as you get up. I don't I don't understand what it must be like to go through the day with the sheets and the blanket. Just however, <laughs> I just can't. It's chaos. It's anarchy is what we're telling y'all. Well, and listen, 
my master bedroom is on the ground floor of my house. You see it as you walk. Like, if you were to walk, unless I close the door, like, as you walk through my front door into my house, my bedroom is right there. So, like, I keep it like that so if people come over, like, I don't have to worry about cleaning up. Everything is mostly cleaned up. And and even if nobody comes over, which they don't for days and days at a time, I like to walk by and see that. Okay, but here's my second question from before. When you wash your sheets and you've made the bed with hotel precision, is it important to you to have showered and have clean pajamas on? Of course it is. Okay, good. Okay, so I'm not the only one. No, we're bringing our best selves it's to the bed. It's a fresh yes. slate. It's a clean slate. That's right. We are doing new pajamas. We're doing a shower. One time, Nicholas tried to get in the newly made bed from the clean sheets, like, after working out. And I was like, do you want to stay married to me? <laughs> Go shower. Or we we cannot continue on as we have for the previous 20 years. The sheets are clean. It is a treat. We got to indulge in the full treat. It's a new day. It's a new day. Now, how often do you wash your sheets? I try to do it once a week. I like clean sheets. Okay, once a week. That's me. Like, I'm not Oprah. I know Oprah likes to try to justify the fact that she, like, has somebody change her sheets every night. And I love her, and I don't find fault in her for many things. But that's crazy. I think so, too. I don't I don't want to be over the top about this. But I want new sheets about once a week. What I really do not want is a kid sitting on my bed after I've made it. I hate that. I'm <gasps> like, do you not even care about my happiness? <laughs> Do you think about me at all? Well, that's how my conversation with Griffin started when he was, like, not making his med and put his laundry. Like, he loves when I do this. I'll be like, is your bed made? And if it is, I'll be like, I knew you loved me. And he's like, Mom. <laughs> and if it isn't, I'm like, you don't love me. Now, obviously, I'm being hyperbolic. Follow me from our parenting <laughs> tips when you tell your children if they don't make your bed, they don't love you. Well, I will walk by the girls' rooms on the weekends and say, you haven't made your bed. And they're like, it's not a school day. And I'm like, are you going to sleep tonight? What does that have to do you with it? You need to make your bed. Now, I will say this. I will say this to our conversation on a previous Outside of Politics where we talked about breaking the rules. There are some Saturdays when I'm really trying to break the hold of should in my head because I should all over myself. I should do this. I should do this. I should do this. We're on some Saturdays, Beth. I will confess to leaving my bed unmade. I have to try. I have to like... It's almost like you should leave it unmade as a practice, but like I, I have to work at it. I have to like walk by me like, no, just leave it. It's a Saturday. You can every one every once in a while, like once a month, you can relax and leave the bed unmade. And I do think it is a helpful mental exercise, but I, I have to work at it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm to very you. skeptical of this because <laughs> I, I love Beth and Chad on Saturday night too. You know what I mean? <laughs> this is just one of those things. I don't feel pressure. No one's grading me about this. My bed is upstairs. I could shut the door of my bedroom and not think about it. I like to have my bed made. I'm happier when my bed is made. I do. It's just to turn back the bed. Yes, to turn back the sheets. Now, how many on controversial topics surrounding beds? Okay. How many throw pillows do you have? So we have a king bed and we have six regular pillows across the bed, right? Three, three, three groups of two. And then in front of that, I have three. Three groups of two. Why do you have three groups of two? Like the two you sleep on. And then two in the middle that we sort of share. And then the two Chad sleeps on. So three groups of two pillows. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Okay. Six okay, across okay. the bed. Okay. And then in front of those, I have three European, like the big rectangular. Yes, yes. Sort of cover the pillows that we actually sleep on. Okay. So you sleep on, you, between you, you use three pillows every night. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. That helps. Okay. So then I have the, the three just hide, hide the pillows, the pretty pillows. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. okay. So we're up to nine. We're up to nine. Right. And then I have a rectangular decorative pillow in front of those. So 10. Okay. Then I did for Father's Day. <laughs> I did for Father's Day purchase um, this very, very long pillow that is sort of triangular in shape. It's supposed to be a like sit in bed and read pillow. You have a Tempur-Pedic. Why do you need that? Well, I just thought it looked comfy. I thought it, Chad might enjoy it. He likes to watch baseball in bed. I thought it might be, okay. you know, really helpful. So what I have been doing, it's big. It's really, really big and long. So I've been putting it in front of the pillows we sleep on and then putting my pretty pillows in front of it. So 11 is the total number of pillows on my bed. I can't wait for Nicholas Holland to listen to this. 
because he will never say a bad word about you or any of your choices. And you have more pillows than we do, which I get harassed about all the time. Well, so you're we welcome. only use. Yeah, thank <laughs> you for this. This is a real gift you've given me. So we have I only sleep on one pillow. He sleeps on one pillow. I have one kind of curl up pillow. Did you see the Holderness's video about her Kim's nighttime routine? No, pen, uh, don't. Don't watch it. You'll feel attacked. I texted them and said, <laughs> we are now sworn enemies. We're done. This is a this was a personal attack on me. Uh, it's hilarious. It's so accurate. And he's like, this is my cuddle pillow. This is my prop. pillow. This is my knee pillow. I'm like, how dare you, sir? Um, so we only have I have two. He has one. Then I have three Europeans. Then I have two like king size pillows with pretty shams on them and then one lumbar throw pillow so that's one two three four five six seven eight nine nine i have nine that seems totally reasonable this to is like what is happening why do we have all these damn pillows i mean there's like three if you would like to go to instagram you could fill your day watching reels about husbands and throw pillows so i think the pillows are silly too and i don't care because mm-hmm, I like them. Mm-hmm. And listen, I feel the same way about the pillows on the couch downstairs as I feel about the yep. bed being made. I want the pillows sitting in their right positions if no yes. one is sitting on that couch. I just want them yep. to go back to where they belong. If you're sitting on the couch, you do whatever you damn well please with the pillows. I want you just to be comfortable and happy and relaxed. <sighs> just put them back. Put them back. Why can't they put them back? They never put them back. Ever. They can't. It's like they're physically incapable of putting them back. Listen, you know what I did the other day? Back to the the neatness and the clothing. I brought every male in my house into the room. I said, come here, everybody, from <laughs> 44 to 8 and stand in front of me and watch me do this. And I took a new pair of pants of Griffin's. I pulled off the tag and I threw it in the trash can. I was like, this is where they go. When you get a new piece of clothing, which what a gift, what a blessing to you that someone has purchased you this Mm -hmm. beautiful new piece of clothing, please Mm -hmm. remove the tag and then throw it in the trash can. And I made everybody practice doing it, including Nicholas, who struggles the most with this. Did you also instruct them that the little plastic piece that the tag is attached to does go in the trash can as well? It's also trash. It is not required to leave the little piece of plastic yes. right in the middle of a carpeted floor for someone to step on. Listen, if you want to see a Sarah on a rampage, throw a piece of trash on the floor in my house and see what happens. My house is not a trash can. I spend an enormous amount of money, mental energy, and physical energy on my house, and I love it. I love this house. So when you, like, per, for example, should I find a banana peel behind my couch? I'm going to come unglued. I'm going to come unglued. Now, a unique problem to having only girls are the elastic hair bands. Oh, I believe that. I'm interested in what kind of system you would devise if you were living among the hair bands. Because oh, they are everywhere all Such the cooking. time in all the places. Just it's a sea of hair bands out here. Okay. Could we develop a practice where we put the hairband on our wrist? Well, Jane does that. Jane, in fact, always has about four on her wrist, two on each side. I have put a glass jar in a kitchen cabinet and said, you know what? If you're in the kitchen and you need a hairband, you can get one from here and you may deposit any hairbands back in here. I don't want to find them anywhere else. I have many stations for the hairbands and still they're just everywhere. I like that system. I believe in our listeners. I bet there is a listener out there who has devised a hair tie solution. I'm looking forward to hearing that. I hope they still love us. I hope we keep our listeners who don't make their bed. We still love you. We do want to help you, but we still love you. I love you enough that I want you to climb into a bed that's made every (laughs) night because it feels so good. That's it. There are some things where I feel like you do need rebellion and you need to walk back from should, many of them. Yes, yes. But this, to me, is just a gift to yourself. It's so easy. It's so easy. It takes like two minutes. You can do it. Well, and there's like studies, like there's like actual evidence that this is really, really (laughs) good for you. Like like there's like military studies and stuff. I just would like to invite you, if you are a non-bed maker, to say for a week, I'm going to make my bed every day and just see, just do my own personal study and see if this feels like a gift to myself. And if it doesn't, you can ignore me and live your best unmade bed life. And I will not judge you for it. I just believe it will be a gift to you. I really now, do. I will say this. We are both horny people, and this might break down 
among the the morning birds and the night owls. You know what I'm saying? Like if could you're not be. a morning person, that could be a tough one. That could be a tough one. I don't know. She's skeptical. Her face right now says, no, it's still good for you. I just feel that whenever you're going to bed and getting up, this is a good practice. (laughs) I can make space for lots of different ways of being. I truly do not understand not making the bed. Just not this one. I'm excited to have found one. You know, my list of things about this is like super, super long, but I'm excited to to find a small one on yours. This is exciting. And I can't wait to hear from everybody about this. Thank you so much to both Rob and Dan for sharing their work with us. Thank you to all of you for joining us today. We will be back with you next Wednesday after the President's Day holiday. Until then, have the best weekend available to you. Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our Managing Director. Maggie Pinton is our Director of Community Engagement. Xander Singh is the composer of our theme music with inspiration from original work by Dante Lima. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Hallie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Katherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. The Pettins! Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Valelli. Amy Whited. Emily Helen Olson. Lee Shea McDonough. Morgan McHugh. Jen Ross. Sabrina Drago. Becca Dorval. Christina Quartararo. Shannon Frawley. Jessica Whitehead. Samantha Chalmers. The Lima family! The Adair family. Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.